So we're going to start here with our very first scripture here. There is a scripture that's uh, found in uh, one of the Old Testament scriptures in the law books where the Lord says to Moses, there is a place by me. I love it. I love it because God was telling Moses, there is a place by me. And in our walk with the Lord, there's a very special place that we can all have in God. And God has a very special place for all of us. I want to talk a little bit differently, though, from that standpoint in the sense that God had plans for there to be a place in Israel where he would put his name, a place he would put his name. And I'm going to give you scriptures here and talk to you a little bit about it. So if you'll turn with me to our very number one here, very first scripture here in Deuteronomy 12:11, And uh, we're going to start with this verse of scripture here in 12:11 here of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to talk about the Lord's promise to establish a place that he would put his name and consequently his blessings, his spirit, and his power. And I want you to look with us in this 14th verse, in this uh, 11th verse, I'm sorry, 12:11. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you, in other words, all of the offerings and everything that God, all the sacrifices they were to make, all the feast days they were to have, it was all to be at this place. And he said, shall you dwell there? Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the heave offerings of your hand and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. And just to add to that, I'm going to go also to 12, uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, 12 and verse 5. Okay, I'm backing up. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 5, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there. Even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of, the, of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the first fruits of your herds and of your flocks. So he's telling them this is the place where that you will be bringing everything that we want you to bring. And we have already determined where it is. Now, I'm going to go to chapter 14 and verse 23. 14, 23. This is just a couple of chapters over. And here's what it says in this verse. Thou shalt eat, therefore, the Lord thy, before the Lord thy God, in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. Are you noticing here how many times it speaks about this place and his name being there? The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, of thine oil, of thy firstlings, of thy herds, of thy flocks. Thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So he's giving him here, them, all of these instructions here about the Lord telling them there's going to be a special place. I'm going down to chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. And this is verse 20. I'm moving across number one here. <clears throat> verse 20. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God year by year in the place which the Lord shall choose, thou and thy household. I'm jumping over then to 16.6. And this is the last one that we'll read in this series here. But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in there, thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even. Now, I've read all of these to let you know here that God had plans when he took the children of Israel of Egypt. He had plans to take them to this new land and that would be a place, that would be a place in Palestine or Canaan's land where the Lord would say, my name is going to be there, my presence would be there, my spirit would be there. This is where all the sacrifices, this is where all uh, the uh the vows that you make, all your tithes were to go there. Everything would to be brought into this particular place. Praise the Lord. Now, 
I made a little notation of it just in case I didn't read enough scriptures there for you to understand it. Seventeen times here in the scriptures this is mentioned. Seventeen times in this in this part of the scriptures is talked about where the Lord said, I'm going to have a place in Palestine where I'm going to do all of these things there. And uh, I'm going to go to number two here. I'm going to move on down. God's name there represented his presence and his commitment to Israel. It would represent his presence and his commitment. So if God's name was there, he was committed to Israel to do things for them and to bless them and to pour out his spirit upon them. And that his name would be there and that his presence and the commitment that he would make to Israel to bless them and keep them would be there. Praise the Lord. And if you'll go to A here, if I can refer to these few scriptures here, this is backing it up into Exodus where the Lord revealed his name to Moses. Let's talk about the name because he said, I'm going to put my name in his place. So let's uh, back up here to Exodus. And I want you to look at verse 13 of chapter 3, Exodus 3 and 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, this is whenever he was out in the wilderness by himself, and uh, the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. And Moses was just a shepherd man out there by himself, and he'd run away from Egypt and had uh, gotten in trouble with everybody over there, and that's Pharaoh and the old crowd. The Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go back there and bring the children of Israel out. This is what he said in verse 13. That Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers, which sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? Notice that. What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, I'm not going to get into this name because I've taught on it before and it's a very intricate subject. But the name of God here mentioned, I am, means that there is no time that he, you cannot say he was, for he, he is always. He is and was and shall be. And God is always. He's always in time. He is always everywhere. There's no place he is not. Praise the Lord. There is no power that he is not. So I am, is, and then later on when Jesus came, uh, he said, I am the, the, the bread that came down from heaven. I am, I am, I am. Uh, and, and he made himself to be the I am of the Old Testament. And uh, they said one time to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. How do you know so much about Abraham? He said, before Abraham was I was? No, he didn't say that. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And boy, they picked up stones and was fixing to stone him. And all Jesus did was just went through the crowd like that and disappeared on them before they could do anything. Later on, he said, why did you pick up stones? He said, because thou being a man makest thyself God. But he was God who had made himself man. I won't go any further with that. Only to say here that God's name is I am. Finally, in verse 15 here, I'm back here in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and 15. And God said, moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And thus is my memorial unto all generations. That is, I am. Now, later, whenever Moses was arguing with God about his inability to do this and go in there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and so forth. Over here in the fourth chapter, I'm just going over actually just several verses away, not too many verses. In the fourth chapter, in the second verse, the Lord said unto him, this is after Moses had been arguing with God a little bit about, I can't do this. The Lord said unto Moses, what is that in thine hand? He said, a rod. He had a rod in his hand. Now, a shepherd's carried a staff and then they carried a rod it was like a, a long stick that was tough and strong and they could whack they could whack an animal or whack a, a, a wolf or a bear or whatever and they kept it down in their 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 their, 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 their tie thing around their waist and uh, the lord said to him what is that in thine hand and he said a rod 
And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. The rod became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. And Moses went, Whew. He was glad it was a rod and so not, a, not a serpent everything. Now, the Lord didn't just stop there. Look in verse 6. The Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. It was white as snow, was leprous. All of a sudden, he had leprosy in that hand. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And what God was showing Moses was that he can change things. He can make things happen. His ability to change things was not an impossibility. Now, let me just say one thing to all of us here. Before this happened in the book of Exodus, no place in the Bible, Genesis, all through the book of Genesis and the earlier part of the, the first two chapters of Exodus, no place did God ever perform a miracle. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible, except maybe if you want to say that Isaac was born from parents who was past age of having children, you know, Abraham and, I, and, 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 uh, and Sarah. And Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 years old. And they had Isaac born to them. Now, that was a miracle, I guess, in itself. Outside of that miracle, there was no place where God just performed a miracle. So why all of a sudden did he do it here? He did it here to show that his name was going to go with them. And with that name was going to go the power of God to make things happen and to change it so that it could be exactly what God told them it would be. Because God told them a big thing. He said, you go tell the children, children of Israel, get ready. We're going to leave out of this place. He said, how can we? We're slaves. They made slaves out of us. They make us work hard every day. We got, you know, they got whips cracking over our head and, and, and they, they, they're mean to us and, and all of that. We, we can't. And God was saying to Moses, I'm going to show you I'm able to deliver you out of Egypt. Now, let me say one thing here to all of us today. God can deliver anybody out of the world. That the world is not too strong for God. Amen. We have to have faith in that. And that's why the Bible says, you know, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These are of the world, not of the Father. And the Lord has promised that he would take that old world out of our heart. But we've got to leave the world. You've got to leave all of that mess out there. You've got to leave all of that gambling. And you've got to leave all of that going to places you shouldn't go and doing things you shouldn't do. And, and uh, I mean, I can start naming things and I, I don't have to. You know what I'm talking about. But God has promised that he would take us out of that kind of an environment and put us in a place where his name would be. And that would be the power and the manifestation of the presence and power of God. So he said to Moses, I'm going to bring you out of that place. And what I'm doing here is to show you that when you have my name, praise the Lord, that I can change anything and make it happen to bring you into where I'm taking you. Bring you out from there and take you in over there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is God's promise and so he made it by his word. Now I'm going to move on a little further here. God's name was revealed to Moses. God's commitment to Israel in that fourth chapter where he told him that this, your name is the, 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 the hand in his bosom and the serpent and so forth. Now I'm going to go to see here right quickly here. Exodus and uh, chapter 6. Look at Exodus chapter 6 for a moment here. And then he says here, moreover. This is what God's still telling Moses. Moses, moreover, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and a great judgment. And we just talked to you about how that applies even to us. Look at verse 8. This is interesting. Not only does he bring them out, 
but he'll take them in. Verse 8, and I will bring you in into the land that he's promised, concerning into which I did swear to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. And what God was showing showing Moses by showing him, giving him his name and showing him the power that he had to change things, said that there's no way they're going to be able to hold you because I'm going to bring you out. And if I can bring you out, I can take you in. I can take you into Canaan's land. I can break you all the way through the wilderness. And of course, the Lord did everything that he promised him that he would do. Praise the Lord. So I'm just pointing out to you, when they came through the Red Sea, the Lord opened up the Red Sea. A miracle. Oh, just think about it. Open up that Red Sea, walked across on dry ground. The sea rolled back together when Pharaoh and his armies tried to pursue him through the sea. They all rolled together and all the Pharaoh's armies all perished. So he went through the wilderness and everything. We won't go into all the detail there, but they're on their way to Canaan's land where the Lord said, I have a place, praise the Lord, for you there. Now I'm going to go to number three here. Look at this very closely. God's name placed in Palestine also represented his favor and abundant blessings upon Israel. I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy 28.8. Deuteronomy 28.8. I'm going to read a few verses here to you. This is what God said I'm going to do for you when I take you into that land and give you my name and put my name there and my blessing. He said, my blessings will be with you. Verse 8. The Lord shall command the blessings upon thee in thy storehouses and in all thy settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Notice that. Look at verse 10. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. Look at verse 12. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure in the heavens to give the rain unto thy hand and by the season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. You won't have to. I'll bless you so much. You'll have plenty. Verse 13. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. If, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Praise God. So this was the Lord saying, I'm going to put my name there and I'm going to bless you beyond what you're even able hardly to even imagine. Praise the Lord. Now, let me tell you what happened when they got over to Canaan's land and they were blessed for a long time. And then Israel began to fall away from God. And they began to say, oh, we don't have to. We don't have to keep all those commandments. We don't have to do what God says. and We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. And they began to complain about everything. Finally, the Lord began to take away from them his blessings and goodness. Finally, they got so bad and, well, they said, we don't even have to do anything, God said. We, we're our own boss. Folks, that's what's happening in America today. I'm concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about America because we're saying we do our own thing. We don't need nobody. We don't need God telling us what to do. We're a great nation. We're the most powerful nation in the world. Yeah, because God has blessed America, not because we are so great. We're no greater than no one else. We're no greater than no one else, except God has blessed this country. And we live here. And that's why we're blessed. And I sit in my house sometimes, and I got on a patio, and I look out, and I look at the trees and, the, and all the neighborhood and the, the, the nice homes. And I say, God, I thank you for the privilege of living here, but I know it's all your blessings. And I don't know how long it's going to be here for us, but I thank you for it. And I'm just trying to tell you here today that God, praise the Lord, wanted to bless Israel abundantly, but Israel fell away from the Lord and eventually they went into captivity. Now I'm going to show you a map here real quick and uh, I'm going to refer to some things here and uh, we're going to talk to you here about number four here, uh, about A, number 4A here, Ezekiel's experience. I'm going to show you here, uh, this is a map of that area. This is Canaan's land right in here. This is... uh, this is Jerusalem right here. This is the uh, 
That's the Dead Sea, and that's the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Jordan River. I know it's very small there to you and everything. But this is Egypt down in here. The children of Israel came across, came up here, came around, and came in across over here to Jericho, and then took the land and everything. Now, several few hundred years later, they're living wickedly in that land. And the Lord allowed uh, the... the uh, the Babylonians, I'm looking for that name right here, the Babylonians, to come over there and to conquer them. And what they did, they conquered, conquered Jerusalem. This all happened in 606 B.C. But they said, we won't destroy nothing. We'll leave you guys intact. Just pay your taxes, that's all. Just send those taxes. And they put another guy over in charge there, and they went back. Well, after a little bit, they quit paying taxes, so... Nebuchadnezzar sent another group of guys over. He went back again, went over there and said, look, this was in 599 B.C. He said, now look, I told you just to pay your taxes. All you have to do, everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory. Don't do this anymore because if you do, I'm going to come over here and wipe you out. Just tear down to your city, burn everything down, kill anybody that tries to fight us. I'll just tear up everything. And they said, oh, okay, okay. And when he did, he took with him, and the first time he took Daniel back over there with him in Babylon. Later on this time, he took uh, Ezekiel with him. And Ezekiel uh, was a son of the priesthood. And he was very familiar with the temple and how it operated in the presence of God because this was where God had made his place was in Jerusalem. God made his place in Jerusalem. He blessed them there. And uh, I didn't point that out to you in our lesson here, but in number four here, the place God eventually, look on your notes there if you would. Number four, the place eventually that God would bless would became Jerusalem. This is brought out in Psalms 32 and also in First King. And uh, particularly the temple, the Lord said, this is where my presence will be inside of this wonderful country that I'm going to give you. Now, later on, whenever Ezekiel was put over here, Ezekiel couldn't get over the fact that now the presence of God and the spirit of the, and all these people were over here in this new land and this new place where God had sent them. And he was very depressed. And all of a sudden, now I want you to go to Ezekiel with me for a moment here. Go to the book of Ezekiel. Let me get to it myself. All right, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth, fifth day of the month, as I was among the captivities by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now stay with me on this. Verse 4, and I looked and behold, a whirlwind came and out of the north a great cloud and a fire unfolded itself and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. And he saw this big fire thing happening. Now, verse 26 gives you a description of it a little bit better. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as it a popular amber as the appearance of fire round about wherein and from the appearance of the loins downward and from the appearance of his loins uh, even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. It was just something that uh, that was just awesome here. This is called a Merkava. The Merkava, it means fiery throne. Merkava, that's the Hebrew word for it. Uh, incidentally, the, the, the Jews have our some of our tanks that America sold in war tanks. And uh, they took those tanks and they revamped them. And they put more firepower in them than what we have in, in, in the same tanks over here in America and in our and tanks that we make. We make. And they re, revamped them everything. They got a whole bunch of them. And they called them there. They call them the Merkava. Merkava is why they call those tanks. The last time I was over in Israel, we were riding along in the van. And we started seeing these tanks here. And God began to say, these are these special high-powered tanks that Israel has over here in Israel that we have 
ready to fight any battle or war that we have to fight. And I said, and I happen to remember the, the, the word, I said, is this the, the Rekava, Bakava? And he said, yes, exactly, that's right. I said, the fiery cherry. Yeah, that's it, he said. That's the tanks right out there. So I was able to see them. And some of you folks were with us. Anybody out there that's remember where you went, whether you were with us on that trip? Okay, I see several hands over here. God bless you. And uh, anyhow, it was an interesting experience, but this is what they call those tank. But this is where it came from here in the book of Ezekiel. I'm reading the 28th verse. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness around about. This was that throne that he saw. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Now, what Ezekiel saw was the presence of God, and it confused him. You know why? Because the presence of God is not supposed to be in Babylon. It's supposed to be in Israel. It's supposed to be in Jerusalem. It's supposed to be at the temple. That's where God placed it. He said, I'll have a place there, and he, and he put it there. And that's where it's supposed to be. God's presence is supposed to be there in that place. And Ezekiel is over here, way over Way across the, the way, uh, if, if I could show you the same map like this, this is the same map that I just showed you, only it has red lines in it. This shows you where Iraq, this is Iraq, this is Syria, and this is Iran over here. You see the Iran here, everything in red is what is there today. And then the black one is Babylonia and Assyria. And uh, Canaan and all that, was Persia and all that. Uh, what I'm trying to show you here is that he was way over here, way over here where my pen is. And God's presence is supposed to be over here in Jerusalem at the temple right here. And he said, what's God's presence doing over here? What is God doing over here? And it, confused, it was a baffling thing to him. And God began to appear to him over there. And then the Lord picked him up and brought him into it. Had a, he had an experience with the Lord. Now, uh, I'm going to go to A here. His vision whenever he saw the Lord. Now, go to A here. This is A right here. Ezekiel 1, 1 and 4 and 28. When we read that. Now, go to A here. Ezekiel's vision was taken in the spirit. Now, he had a vision in which God took him up. In this vision and took him away from Babylon and took him way over back to Palestine, back into Jerusalem, right there where the temple and everything was in this vision that he had. And the Lord took him over there. And when he got there, he began to see things. Now, go to Ezekiel chapter 8. This is Ezekiel still experiencing these things. Verse 8, 3. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heavens and brought me in a vision of God to Jerusalem. Jumping down to verse 4. Behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. And when I got back to Jerusalem, I saw the glory of God there like what I had seen over there in Babylon. And then God begins to show him all around Jerusalem and begin to say, this is why that things are going to change. Ezekiel, and he showed him the sins of the people. And so though he was in the, in the spirit and, and everything, God had brought him over there in the spirit, he began to see the secret sins of the people of the Jews that were there, what they were doing that God was displeased. And he was saying to him, I'm fixing to leave this place, I'm fixing to leave it. Verse 9, chapter 9, rather, verse 3. Chapter 9, verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherubs whereof he was in the threshold. Now God's beginning to bring them out. Praise the Lord. 9.3. Now look at 10.4. This I'm just following in this these scriptures here. 9.3 and 10.4. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubims and stood over the threshold of the house. That's the temple. And the house was filled with a cloud and the, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. God's still there, but he's moving away. Look at verse 18. I'm going to verse 18 now. 
Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house. You notice here how God's glory keeps moving away. Then go to 11.1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the east gate of the Lord's house, which looketh eastward. He brought me to the east gate. So in this city of Jerusalem and where the temple was, the Lord brought him to the east gate. Now this is a uh, this is a, a picture of the city of Jerusalem, and this is the city around here. This is the old city where David originally was. This is the Temple Mount right here, and this is the Temple Mount, and this is the the, the courtyard and the temple right here. And right here is a gate that goes out into the east side down the Kidron Valley and over on to Mount of Olives over here. And I'm going to talk to you about this right now. Everybody still with me? Now don't lose, don't let me lose you here. You want to stay with me on this one. Praise God. And he took me up and he, verse 11, 1, moreover the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the east gate of the Lord's house which looketh eastward. Now I'm jumping on over a little bit further here and uh, going over to verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. And the mountain on the east side of the city that he's talking about is over here, Mount Olives. Over here, Mount, Mount Olivet, sometimes referred to, but Mount of Olives it's over here. It's across the little Kidron Valley here, over here. And this is where the Spirit of the Lord went, and it was gone. And the Lord was showing Ezekiel, I'm fixing to leave Jerusalem. Fixing to leave there. And he left. Now, this is a very interesting part of the Scriptures because Ezekiel was having this vision, and then the Lord brought him back over to Babylon and said, the reason that you're seeing my presence over here is because I have left Israel and now I go wherever I want to go. Wherever you will see my glory, that's where I'll be. Praise the Lord. In God's presence and his power. And uh, his glory will be there. Now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, this eastern gate here a little bit. And uh, look at number three here with us, if you would. God's promise was the presence of God would return to Jerusalem. He promised them that he would return there one day. Look at Psalms 24, 7. Psalms 24, 7. And I think I'm, I think I'm on target here. Praise God. All right. The 20, I'm sorry, 23, 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, O ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. This is the promise that God would return. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the King mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. This is the Lord promising that one day the presence of God would return back into Jerusalem. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. See, and this is a prophecy here in Isaiah, in Psalms, brother, that's speaking here of God's great glory and God's goodness and his coming. Praise the Lord when the Lord would come. Now, I want you to go to John 12, 1. When it happened, I'm going to show you where it happened. When it happened, John 12, 1. Everybody still with me? Good. Look in John 12, 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And Bethany was on Mount of Olives. It's just, just east of the Mount of Olives. Look at verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem... Now, Jesus is coming in through the east gate. All right. They took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on a donkey's coat. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remember they that these things were written of him and that they had done all these things unto him. Praise the Lord. And so they, they understood it later, but not at that time. They did not understand here that as they glorified Jesus, saying, Hosanna to God in the highest and so forth. Praise the Lord. Look at number two here. The eastern gate will remain shut until Jesus returns. Look at Ezekiel 44. Everybody still with me? Now, when after, sometime after Jesus ascended into heaven, sometime after that, that gate was, that eastern gate was shut. It was shut. And the Lord said it would be shut. Verse 44, 1. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east. This is Ezekiel 44, 1. And it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and it, no man shall enter in it, because the Lord, the Lord of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate, and it shall go out of the way of the same. That door, he said, would that gate would be shut now. Ironically, that east gate is shut. That's it right there. Now, there's no more temple. There's the, the, the Dome of the Rock or the Muslim shrine. This is the Temple Mount up here where you see all the green trees. This is on the east side. This is the Mount of Olives over here where my pen is pointing on this side. We're standing on the Mount of Olives. We look across the Kidron Valley here, just a small valley. There's a little road going down through here. And that's the eastern gate. These are Muslim cemeteries over here because the Muslim says the Jews do not disturb cemeteries and they will not go through it. So we know that when Messiah comes, he'll not go through this gate because we're going to put bodies there, graveyards. And that gate has been sealed off now for thousands of years. It has been sealed off. It's sealed off and, and um, the hand does not go through it. Here's, uh, here's another picture of it. Stay with me for a moment on this. This is that gate. It's sealed off. And uh, it has not been opened since the days when Jesus went through it and passed and left. It has not been opened. It's sealed off. Praise the Lord. And the, the Lord said it would be sealed off. Jesus went through it, and then it will be sealed off. Praise the Lord. Now look in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at the ninth verse. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. And he walked with his disciples. He walked with his disciples out of Jerusalem. And they went through this eastern gate. And they walked over here to the Mount of Olives. And while they were standing on the Mount of Olives, look at verse 9. This is Acts 1, 9. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. Jesus was taken up. This is when he was taken up from them. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Just like you see one of these rockets go off over here and, and, uh, and then after a while it's gone. That's the way Jesus went up. Verse 10. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. I guess you guessed that they were angels. You're right. Verse 11, which said also, ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. 
Just like you see him go up, he's going to come back. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, or Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey. So that you, this last verse here tells you where they were when this, all this happened. So I'm pointing out to you here that Jesus is, was caught up. He was taken up and that gate was shut and sealed. And no man will go through it until Jesus comes back again. Jesus comes back and that, then that gate will be opened. Praise the Lord. It'll be shut. Praise the Lord. Now, look in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. Look at this. Here's where it happens. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. 14.4. I guess I got this covered up here. I'm sorry. And his feet shall stand in the day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. The half of the mountain shall remove to the north and half to the south. This is the Mount of Olives now. This is his feet shall stand in that day. This is Jesus coming back. He shall set his feet, he shall, he shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like ye fled from before the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. This is not the rapture, this is Armageddon. The Lord will come back in the rapture to take his people away. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord doesn't come back to touch the earth, but he comes back in the air. The Bible talks about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. You read it sometime. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says the same thing. Talks about the rapture of the Lord, how the Lord will come back in the air. And the dead in Christ shall rise first to meet him in the air. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord wherever he is there. And then there's going to be the tribulation period, folks, which was what Revelation is in the book of Revelation is all about. And then there is going to be what is called Armageddon, in which the Lord will come back to this earth. And when he comes back that time, he will come back at that spot on the Mount of Olives. And when he sets his feet down, that mountain's going to split open. And there's going to be water that will run out through it and be healing waters. It's going to heal all that desert down in there. And that's going to make it very fruitful. And the Bible talks about the Dead Sea will not be dead anymore. It'll be alive. That's all in the Bible. That's all in the Bible. Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, not in Daniel, but it would be in uh, Jeremiah. I'm just trying to tell you here that God has all these things already planned and spoken of. And, 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 and it's going to happen. Praise the Lord. Now... All of that brings it down to, to you and I. So when Jesus comes back, he will take us and get us away. I want to go to five here. I'm going to wrap this up now. The place of his name and the presence today. What about God's name and his place? In other words, his place is where his name is, right? Now, where is his place and his name today? I want you to look at the scriptures here with us for a, a moment here. Look at Matthew 1825. 1825. Praise God. Praise God. Let me get to it myself. Here we go. 18 and 20. I'm sorry. I said 25. 18, 20. 18, 20. Right here. We're at the very, very bottom. And uh, they're showing all kind of things up there, I guess. <laughs> well, where two or three are gathered together in my name. You got it on the scripture over there. There am I in the midst of them. Now, notice that. 
Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is where two or three are gathered in his name. All right. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Praise God. Let's look at 619 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now notice, take note of this because it's not a building anymore in Jerusalem. There is no temple there. That temple was, was destroyed. The Babylonians did come. What God was showing Ezekiel was, I'm going to leave that building. And he did leave it. And later, Nebuchadnezzar went back over there and destroyed that temple. And and they burned it to the ground, tore down everything. Later on, another temple was built. And in 70 AD, that one was destroyed. That was destroyed. That That was after Jesus. And so there is no place. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Which is in you. That is the spirit, the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And ye are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. For ye are bought with a price. Everybody knows what the price is. It's Calvary. Wherefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So he's saying here to glorify the Lord and to give God praise and honor and glory for all that God means to you and has done for you. Now... Going to another verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. This is just uh, a confirmation to what we've already been looking at here. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? This is repeated. Now, notice it very closely. And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Praise the Lord. It's not a building in Jerusalem anymore. It's, it's us. Verse 17, now this is sobering here. Because if God destroyed that temple, be careful that we don't mess around here and get foolish with God. Look at verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And he's going by scripture because God destroyed that temple that was in Jerusalem. And if we are the temple, if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, we can't mess around with God and be foolish and ridiculous. It says, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So the Lord is saying here, the Lord was the temple. Praise the Lord. And the Lord had made himself, of course, to be the temple. And he said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up. I guess I missed that one. John 2, 19, 21. He referred to that in John. And uh, I'm going to read that one just because I missed it there. John 2, 19, 21. I'm going back here. That one verse, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus was talking about himself. So when he was on earth, he was the presence of God on earth. He was the temple of God. That's what he was saying. Now, after Jesus ascended into heaven, you and I are the temple of God because the spirit of God dwells in us and God has put his spirit in us. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, I'm going to read this verse of scripture. One more scripture I'm going to read to you in Romans, and that's the last verse here. And then I'm going to talk to you just for a minute, and then we're going to close out. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him... That raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. He's going to save us by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So that spirit that is in us that makes us to be the temple of God is going to be someday that temple, praise the Lord, that spirit brother that will raise us up. And if we're alive when Jesus comes back, we'll rise to meet him in the air. If we are not, we'll be the dead in Christ that will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Praise the Lord. Now, when I'm going to close with this. When, uh, when Ezekiel was in Babylon and everything, and 
he understood all about it, about the gate. And I just showed you pictures there of the eastern gate, how that God has got it closed uh, so that nobody can, nobody can go through that gate. I'm going to show this picture to you once again. I can't show it to you. But across from that gate, right directly across, straight east, across from it on the Mount of Olives today, there's a church. I wish I could show you the pictures of it. I was going to show you that up here. There's a picture of a church. There's a church I call the Church of All Nations. And on that church, there are four statues of four men standing at the top of these columns. I got a picture here of it. Got all kind of pictures of it. I've been there, looked at it, everything. And each one of those statues of those men represented, represents Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're holding their gospel. And when you look at the statue, they're holding it like this. And they're looking down at it and they're pointing at a scripture in their gospel. It's a scroll that they've got. And they're looking to the eastern gate that's sealed. And in that scroll, in that point where they're pointing at in that gospel, in their gospel, they are saying when Jesus will come back, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's going to go through that eastern gate. Praise the Lord because he's coming back. And they are looking at the eastern gate holding the scroll as if they're saying, we are showing you that Jesus is coming back. Folks, and when you see it, it's there. You can't deny it. I remember telling a Jewish guy, there's a woman that was showing us about it and telling us all about it. And I, I had already been there and I knew about it. I said, I can tell you also what the script, where the scriptures are in the scriptures. I can tell you where they are. Each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can tell you where they are, what scriptures they are. She says, you know what scripture? I said, yep. There are scriptures about his coming back and he's going to go through that eastern gate. Jesus is. Praise the Lord. She's Jewish. I don't know whether that registered with her or whether she liked or didn't like it. And she said, well, that's interesting. Yeah. I said, are you Christian Jewish? She said, I'm a Zionist. I knew what that meant. A Zionist means I'm nothing. I'm just a Jew. And I don't claim to have any religion or no Jewish or anything like that. But praise the Lord, folks. Let me just say this. The word of God is so powerful. It is so true. It is so right. It is so on target. And don't you ever let anybody ever convince you that you shouldn't be walking with God with all of your heart. Walk with the Lord all with all your heart. And one of these days, it's going to be worth it all. Praise the Lord. Jesus will come. Would you stand with me together and let's give him the praise and let's worship him and thank him right now. God bless you. You're such a good audience. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming back for your people one day. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be your temple upon this earth at this time, Lord. Let your spirit dwell in us, God, and help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in all things. And we're looking for your coming, Lord. We know it's soon. We give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.